Hello and welcome back to Come Follow Me with Fair Faithful Answers to New Testament Questions. I am Jennifer Roach. Today we are going to talk about works. Um, you probably know we are going through the Come Follow Me readings and addressing common questions that your evangelical friends or family members might have about our faith as we go along, and maybe even some questions you have about their faith in the hopes that you might be able to have better conversations with your friends, with your loved ones, in a way where you can share some of the goodness from our faith in a way they can actually hear and understand. Okay, today is Sunday evening, October 1st. I hope you had a great conference weekend. I certainly did. Um, I have a whole list of talks I need to listen to again. You probably do too as well. I will not tell you how many cinnamon rolls I ate this weekend. Let's just say I have to go for more than one run soon. <laughs> it's a great weekend. I love conference weekend. I know all of you do too. Um, we are going to jump right in. This week's um, jumping off point. There are loud cars on my street. You probably just heard that. <laughs> Our jumping off point is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. So it is kind of a, like just one of the classic verses that um, seem to cause problems between Latter-day Saints and evangelicals. We just we just talk right past each other here. Okay. I remember really, really grappling with this verse when I was an evangelical. I was probably 16 or 17. I, I grew up in a non-LDS church, and they really did try to walk a fine line between Calvinism that's kind of this, um, God will save you, you have nothing to do with it, um, your choices don't matter, you don't have agency, God saves who he will save, and kind of the opposite of it, sometimes called Arminianism, um, people have free will to choose God, and therefore we should evangelize the whole world. Um, the, the church where I, they tried a, a good mental or a good middle point on that. Um, it, it sounded something like this is, this is one of the things that got said was you spend your days like an evangelist trying to win people to Christ, but you spend your nights as a Calvinist, meaning work hard but know that only God does the work and it is all in his hands and there isn't actually that much you can do about it. Um, and that was about the best that they could come up with, at least at the time. Um, but when it came to verses like this one and, and many others, I was kind of confused because my church taught that in order to receive this grace, this grace of God, what you're supposed to do was pray the sinner's prayer. Um, sometimes they say it's asking Jesus into your heart. Um, it's it's confusing though, right? Because here's this promise of free grace, but here's something you have to do to get it. Isn't that a work? Um, in my like 16-year-old brain, I couldn't quite figure out how that wasn't considered a work. Um, if it's something that a person does, they have done it. It is, it is a work. Um, if it was actually true that God's grace is all that's needed, 
then why do we even have to pray a prayer? What's like, what's the point of that? Um, part of this was I was 16 and my brain wasn't fully developed yet. So I was grappling with stuff that's hard even for fully developed brains. But part of the problem is evangelicals do have an answer for this dilemma. It's just that none of them are very satisfying. And mostly the people who ask a question like that they have to put it away. They they move on from it. It's sort of the default to, well, God is a mystery. Um, and then kind of call it good from there. This will not come as a surprise <laughs> to listeners of this show. I was also taught that Latter-day Saints are trying to earn their way to heaven. And if they made one small mess up, their chances are ruined. It's 100% workspace for them. Um, which is part of why I was so intrigued when I read the Book of Moses. If you haven't heard me say it before, Book of Moses was actually the first modern scripture that I ever read. I read it before I read the Book of Mormon. Um, and there's a lot contained in that little book. Something I understand now quite a bit more than I understood when I first read it. I think normally when I talk about this, I say something like, I didn't even really know what I was looking at. And that's true. I didn't. But there's also this, literally, chapter one of Moses by verse four, you're confronted with the idea about works. In verse four, God tells Moses that his work is vast. God, God himself, his own work is vast. And that he isn't even done yet. He's still going. He's got more to say. He's got more to create. He shows Moses all the stuff and says, watch out, there's more coming. Well, hmm, that is not something evangelicals ever taught me. By Moses 1 verse 6, we see God telling Moses that he also, Moses, has a work to do. Just as Jesus Christ had a work to do. Huh. If you had asked me, even a few weeks before I had read that passage, to guess what a verse about works would say in a Latter-day scripture, I would have guessed something like, um, God would be telling Moses, I have a bunch of work for you to do, and if you do it well enough, you can earn your way back into my presence, and if you mess up any, sorry, you're out. That's how I would have conceptualized it. That's a pretty typical evangelical way to conceptualize it. That is not what happens in Moses 1. Even by verse 4, we know that God is calling Moses' son before he even talks about any work. And presumably, Moses hasn't even done anything yet. God, God assures him of his sonship. And then he is given work to do. I, I don't even think I actually articulated any good questions about this at the time. So right from the beginning, I've been trying to wrap my mind around this concept. And I think most evangelicals who are baptized into our church, our Latter-day Saint church, kind of have to go through some version of this puzzle of trying to figure out how, how all of this works. And it takes a minute. Um, people, maybe like you, who have been members of our faith their whole lives, generally get pretty confused here as well, not by what the scripture is saying, but why evangelicals are so mad and so confused about what our actual doctrine is. 
the question evangelicals ask here don't really make any sense. And we all talk right past each other. So what I want to do today is, it, is try to explain in a fair way why evangelicals are in the place they are in on this and hopefully give you some ideas on, on how to kind of navigate around it with your, your loved ones. So it, about six weeks ago, back in um, the middle of August, Christianity Today, which has long been considered kind of the premier magazine for evangelicals, they published an article called um, Mormons Expect More of the Next Generation, Why Don't We? And the whole point of that article is basically that evangelical kids do not fare as well because they're given far lower expectations and counterintuitively to some high expectations coupled with high levels of support are really good for kids. Um, it, it actually gives them something to shoot for and they, and they grow a little bit more. Um, Christianity Today actually publishes a version of this article about every decade. If you go back and search it, it's every like eight to 12 years, they have something along this same line of, gosh, Latter-day Saints have all these great works. They do amazing things. Even their young people do all these amazing things. The, the most recent one that I could find before this article in August was back in 2013, so exactly 10 years ago. And what is fascinating is that all of these articles it, it, it put out every decade or so, they praise the works of Latter-day Saints, especially young people. They talk about the goodness of their service, how the missionary program helps in young adult development. They talk about our humanitarian work, all the other things the church does, but they divorce it from our beliefs. The logic is something like this. We evangelicals believe the Latter-day Saints are doing really good works. But those works end up being meaningless because they think they're earning their salvation with them. But I suppose at least some people receive charity out of it, and so it's fine for what it is. Um, in articles like this, um, the most recent one and the one before, you find quotes like this. Mormon culture is founded on a worldview requiring works in order to gain eternal life and trying to earn God's favor through human effort is not going to help any teenager, whether Mormon or Protestant. One more. Christians have a unique core that motivates our service, a core that separates our religion from others, including Mormons. That core is grace. Right? So you can just see from these three quotes, um, they are pretty certain that we're trying to build a tower to heaven with our good works, essentially. Now, Latter-day Saint Prince, I know your minds are full right now of verses from the Book of Mormon or from modern prophets or from all kinds of places explaining that we do not believe works save us. But no matter how much we talk about those verses, Evangelicals have not budged on this, as evidenced by the simple example of the decade after decade articles that get put out about this, even by someone like Christianity Today claiming we are a works-based religion. Like, no, we haven't made any dent in that with them. 
Um, remember when we did the episode, um, I think it's called A Different Jesus, and talked about why evangelicals say we have a different Jesus. If you haven't listened to that one, go back and listen to that. Um, evangelicals have a deep worry that getting Jesus wrong, even a little bit, means that no matter how strong your faith is, it won't really matter because you believe in the incorrect Jesus. And that very much comes into play here. It's not so much that they don't believe in doing good. They, they do. You can find good that a lot of evangelicals do in the world, and many, many people are better off because of it, both the doer and the receiver. Um, and they can cite all kinds of Bible verses which support the idea of good works. The problem is that because in their view, we don't believe in the correct Jesus, uh, whatever good works we do have to stand on their own as just nice things that we do for people because we're very nice. That's That's how they see it. They can't see our works as an expression of faith in Christ because they can't see that we have faith in Christ, right? Now, it's conference weekend. So heavily in my mind while I was preparing this episode and watching conference, I thought, gosh, in conference, they sure mentioned Jesus Christ a lot. I'm going to keep myself a little tally of all the times. And I quickly um, lost my ability to keep up. That might say more about me. I'm not sure. But I was engrossed in what I was listening to. So all of my tally marks did not suffice to get me anywhere on that point. However, um, you can go online, you can find the entire text and search um, from any conference, see how much any topic was discussed. So I went and looked, the April 2023 conference just six months ago, I wanted to see how many times is Jesus Christ mentioned. There are over 500 times. And if you take out all the mentions of the name of the church, Welcome to the annual conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. If you take all of those out, you still have well over 400 times. Elder Gary Stevenson in that conference talks about, uses the name of Jesus Christ, talking about Jesus Christ 25 times in a 14-minute talk. It's on average every 30 seconds he's saying the name of Jesus Christ. And in fact, it's rare to have a speaker not mention Jesus Christ multiple times. I did a, a cursory search through the last few years and found, uh, I think, three, it might have been four people who only used the name of Jesus Christ outside of the name of the church just one single time. It doesn't really happen all that much. You and I know this, right? I ain't telling you anything you don't already know. But our evangelical friends won't accept those 400 times that we hear about Jesus Christ, because to them, it doesn't matter how hard you believe or how big your faith is, if it's invested in the wrong thing. And here, the wrong thing essentially means that we don't accept the things written about Jesus by a committee 400 years after he was gone. The, the basic Trinitarian conceptualization. They would say, you don't believe the Trinity. The object of your belief is false. Therefore, your works are not a product of faith. They're just you trying to work your way to heaven. The only way 
the only way I can really see out of this corner, well, there's two. The first is speaking more specifically about what it is that you believe about Jesus Christ. If you find yourself in a conversation like this with an evangelical friend or family member, I believe in Jesus Christ might be met with, but you believe in the wrong Jesus. It, it, it's kind of a, an expected reflex from them. However, something like, I believe that Jesus Christ is the eternal savior of the world and no one can return to God except through him, that would certainly get you some agreement and some understanding with them. And all of a sudden, a bigger, better conversation opens up. Here, here's my other thought about how, how to get out of this corner. If you want to have credibility in what you are talking about regarding your faith, you have to live up to what you're saying. You actually have to be the kind of person that embodies the teachings of Jesus Christ. This gets hard when we're talking about family members who know you probably better than anyone else, for better or for worse, right? Um, so this isn't saying, oh, you need to be perfect or you need to make them think you're perfect. But you do need to embody it in a kind of way that they can feel. And they can feel it. They, they know what it means to be around a person who seems like they have integrity, who lives what they believe, who, who loves Jesus Christ. That's, that's a feeling probably every evangelical knows. If you are doing that in your life, you have an incredible leg up on talking about some of these things. Um, you know, I mean, this is why I don't personally love participating in conversations about Christ with people I don't know. Um, there is a spot for that. People do that online. People do that in person. And if you are gifted, gifted in this area, God bless you. I think many of our young missionaries are gifted in this way. They knock on doors of strangers and start discussions with people they don't know at all. But I am not one of those people. Maybe you aren't either. Um, it, it, and at least in part, because I would rather rely on my own credibility from this person who knows and hopefully loves me, that they can see what that looks like in my life, that I'm not just talking gibberish. Um, that the credibility that I have is the fact of who Christ has led me to be, not perfect. <laughs> my life is not perfect. There are many, many difficult things and challenges in my life, just like there are in yours. This isn't saying perfectionism. It is saying um, if you're living the gospel principles, you get listened to more, at least in conversations about faith. Um, occasionally, an evangelical friend will say something to me like, I don't believe a thing your church teaches, but I can see that it's working for you because you are the happiest I have ever seen you. Uh, Friend who has known me more than 30 years said that to me, right? She didn't believe a thing I'm talking about, but she's curious because it clearly is working for me. How you live your life and what makes you really happy actually matters. If the gospel is a burden to you, not a happiness to you, people will feel that. And you are not going to get very far in those conversations. If the gospel is a checklist, if it is, here's all the works I have to do. And if I don't, God won't love me. 
that is going to come across as well. To be fair, I don't actually know any Latter-day Saint in real life that comes across that way to me. The the urban lore is that there's lots of them. I haven't met any of them yet. I, I don't know what to tell you about that. If you are like most Latter-day Saints that I have met, you are just trying to embody the gospel. Um, and you might not realize how much credibility that can give you with somebody who knows you. Jesus described it as letting them see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Who you are and how you live your life, the good works that you do actually gives you more traction with the people who know you in getting them to listen to the specific things you're going to say about Jesus. You kind of got to wiggle around their defenses in two directions. One, you wiggle around it by being a little bit more specific of what our actual beliefs about Jesus are. And the other way you wiggle around it is by being the kind of person who follows Jesus Christ. That's that's the only two ways around this, this corner that I know. Hope that is helpful to you. That is about it for today. Next week, we are going to talk about something evangelicals are super obsessed with, but Latter-day Saints are not at all. It's called Gnosticism. Paul fights against it very hard in most of his letters. Um, but we're going to talk about why proxy work for our deceased relatives is a perfect antidote to Gnosticism. We will explain it all next week. It'll be great. I'll see you then.